0: I wanna go there. Good morning, Christ Chapel. Good morning, great to see you. Uh, If you're worshiping with us online, thank you for joining with us. No matter where you are across the the country, the world, uh, we're so glad that you've chosen to worship the Lord with us. I would like to talk with y'all as well as everyone here who's in the room, but I wanted you to know that we have increased capacity uh, at our worship services, but I wanted you to know that we haven't uh, compromised any of our protocols or safety, but we felt like we could increase the capacity in our worship services and do it in a safe manner and so we want to invite you back to church if you are someplace in our area please come on back I know everyone here would love to see you as we worship the Lord uh, together one of the reasons why we need to increase capacity is because we hope to Lord willing uh, very soon bring back children's ministry uh, in a very small way Yeah, again, we want to we be very careful of how we do that, but especially for families that have uh, itty-bitties, that have little ones, maybe zero to two some way, but we're going to do it very slowly, very methodically with safety in mind, so I know we'll ha- we need to increase capacity because we're going to have plenty of parents that go, here is my child, I want to go to worship. Um, so I'll go anywhere, here's my child, you know, um, But uh, we want to encourage them, especially as we focus on the family this next year, we want to get uh, families back to church. We need to start a movement back to church. And so if you're watching with us, yeah. So thank, thank you all for, for being here, and thank you for joining with us. Certainly f- uh, come if you feel safe. Uh, we've got some specific places that we have even here in our sanctuary that we've set aside where people can, can be super safe and super distanced if you so choose. So please come on back, because like I said, we need to start that movement back to church. There are plenty of movements going on in our world today. Uh, plenty of movements that are trying to address uh, the, the, the problems or, or the concerns that people have in our world. And, and some of them, they're, they're not necessarily uh, bad movements that have begun. The, the movements of our normal life, they've been interrupted lately, especially with, with COVID and the worldwide pandemic. And that's why we've got to be intentional about creating new movements, about what what is going to, what what do we need to reintroduce back into our lives? And that's the movement of the church, because the movements that are, are starting in our world that are trying to address the problems or, or the brokenness or the hurt that our world is experiencing are, are certainly, uh, many of them, wonderful things, but none of them hit at the root like the church the church is the only one that has the message that this world needs to hear that will truly address the problems there are many movements going on whether it's human rights and again humans need rights Uh, I I totally understand that and get that. But there are environmental movements. There are political movements. There are animal rights movements. There are so many different movements that are going on in our world that sometimes I really believe people are concerned. They kind of go, I don't know which one to join. I don't know which one I should be a part of. I mean, I do care about human rights. I also care about, you know, animal rights. I also care about the environment. I also care about I care about all these things. Cody, where, which, which movement should I, I be a part of? Wh- which one should I join? Which one should I give my money to? And, and I think that many people get confused where, where they should join a movement. Which one should they adhere to? Which one should, should they base their life on? Uh, you, you know what a, a social movement is because of all of the ones going on today. It's people that gather around an idea or a set of ideals in order to see change. I mean, essentially, that's, that's what it is. That's a, that's a textbook definition for you. And, and, and all of these are based in, in different kind of varying degrees of effect. Uh, there was a sociologist, uh, actually a cultural anthropologist back in the 60s, Aberle was his name, who basically put all social movements into four different kinds of categories. And he based them on uh, essentially who they were trying to affect, and how much effect the movement wanted to see. And some had a high effect, like we wanna see a lot of people changed, or some just specific individuals. Some wanted a lot of change, some just a little change. And he basically put them into these four categories based on those two questions. He said there are alternative movements, which means a small amount of change for a small amount of people. He said there are redemptive movements, Those are a a big change for specific individuals, small amount of people. He said there's reformative movements that is big, that is a small change for big groups of people, or there were revolutionary movements, big change, lots of people. And he broke those down, and, and you can basically categorize all the movements that you see in our world today. But even cultural anthropologists or sociologists would all agree that all of those movements, no matter which category they fit into, have a life cycle. Everybody would say that all the movements have a life cycle, that there, there's a conception, there's an idea that these people gather around that get, gains some momentum, it grows, And then it either has a change, it succeeds or it fails. But ultimately, whether it succeeds or fails, it dissolves and eventually dies. Every movement has that kind of life life cycle, except for one. There's one movement that has been the most effective movement throughout history that has never died, even though its leader died, but then came back to life again. There's only one movement, the most significant movement in the world that has gone on over the longest period of time and affected the most amount of people is the movement of God through his church. That is the movement. And it's important for us to understand that as everybody is confused and pulled in different directions about all the things that we want to see happen in the world that are right and good, to make the world the way that Jesus wants it to be. But we don't need to join another movement. We are the movement. We are the movement that God has instilled through, through, since 2,000 years ago and that he's sustaining today to have an effect on the world, but it starts with us. Now, there have been plenty of people throughout history that have tried to squash this movement. But I want to tell you how powerful it is, because if you go back to history, I mean, even when you think about when this movement started with the life of Jesus, this was who, who was in charge during those days, in, uh, governmentally, it was Nero. And Nero was the first person, it, that at least is recorded, who imperially oversaw persecution, Like he mandated Christians be persecuted at the very beginning of the church. Yet, the church grew. The church thrived. The church endured. Go to the French Revolution. In the French Revolution, they actually banned public worship and Christian education. Yet, Christianity continued. You go to China. Uh, Christianity was banned in the 17th century in China. And actually, when the Communist Party took over in 1948, banned all Bibles. They confiscated every Bible they could find, and then they burned them. Yet, the church is thriving in China today, even in the underground. Or you go to Cuba Cuba, when Castro came into office, he actually imprisoned pastors, he closed churches and confiscated all Bibles that he could find. And the evangelical efforts, the evangelism going on today, they're seeing thousands of people come to Christ in Cuba. I mean, the church cannot be stopped. The movement of God that he started by the power of his spirit is sustained throughout history. It has no life cycle. It was conceived and it will endure. That's the story of scripture. And that's the movement that we are a part of. And that's the movement that we're gonna study. So if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. We're gonna begin a series today called The Movement. And I'm calling it the movement because what I want to do is through the book of Acts, we want to study God's unstoppable work in the world through the movement of the church. It's an unstoppable movement through his work in the church that happens in the world unstoppable it reminds me of what uh, Jesus told Peter in Matthew chapter 16 remember when Peter confesses that that Jesus is the Christ the Christ means the anointed one and that'll that'll be important to remember but he calls him the anointed one you're the one we've been waiting for and he says yep Peter and on that confession when you when you've called me the anointed one you call me the coming king on that confession I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I think that means two things. I think that Jesus is foreshadowing his death when he says that, because the gates of hell would, would presume his death. He's talking about, I'm gonna die, but guess what? This movement isn't gonna stop. Why? Because he's gonna come to life again. Even the gates of hell cannot prevail against it, but I also think it means even the dark forces and the dark things that are afoot in our world today cannot stop the movement of the church. It, it can't. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what God is building his church off of. But remember, the church is not a building. It's a body of believers, and that is essential for us to understand. That the, our definition of church comes from the book of Acts when it talks about the ecclesia, the, the called out, ek meaning out, kaleo meaning called, called out ones. Those who have been called out, those who have been set apart from the world. Our definition of church is not actually where we get the, the name church or the word church actually it comes from a German word, K-I-R-C-H-E. Don't ask me to pronounce it. But that definition, that German definition, is a building where religious sacraments are taken. The church is not a building. We're not coming in here to play church. The church is a movement to join. It's not a place to come and sit. And it's an unstoppable movement that started 2,000 years ago that continues through us today. And that's what we're gonna start is the series that's looking at that. As we join this, the body of believers, that 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 is what God uses to change the world. And that's actually what the video that that started this portion of the service, that's what that video is trying to illustrate and represent. You saw the water. That individual drops they fall down and, and you would represent an individual drop. I would too. That individual believers, as we come together, those drops pull together in a pond and then, and then it pulls together even greater into a greater body of water and then that flows into a stream and then the stream flows into a river and then into a bigger river and it turns into this unstoppable force, this, this waterfall that, 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 that you, you can't stop and that is powerful, powerful stuff. It changes the landscape around it when water gets moving, it can even erode rock, hard surfaces. And this is the movement of the church. This is what God does in and through the church to affect change in the world. It's the change that we all see. It's the, all, all, all the change that we want, but it's only led by the Spirit, and it affects the heart. And so I have really three goals for this series. At first, I want to illustrate how God changes the the world through the church. Just illustrate it. As we study the book of Acts, you need to understand there are parts of the book of Acts that are descriptive, just describing what happened. But then there are also other parts that are prescriptive. They're telling us what we should do. And so what I want to do is... Look at those descriptions, but most of those descriptions come from prescriptions. When the, when the disciples are doing what God has called them to do, and you'll see that today. So I wanna illustrate how God moved through the early church. Second, I want us to align to his methods. Align to his methods. Well, we don't, like I said, we don't need to join new movements. Now, now there are some things that the, the early church didn't have. They didn't have an internet campus. They didn't have a stream. I get it. But we need to, as closely as we can, we are a New Testament church. We are a New Testament Bible-based believing church. So we want to base our methods of how we live as believers off of what Scripture says. So we're going to align to his methods. And then finally, I just want us to unify around those methods. Because as individual drops, we won't have much effect. But if we can come together, we can be a force to be reckoned with in the world. That's what I want for us as a church. I think God calls his church to be a unified body of believers that changes the landscape around us in Jesus' name. So today, I just want to talk about the very beginning of that movement. I want to show you how the movement began, how it was sustained, and how it continues Today, So we're gonna look at, at the very beginning of Acts chapter one, verse one, but what I want you to see is Jesus began an unstoppable movement through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus began an unstoppable movement through his life, death, and resurrection. Now, let's look at Acts chapter one, verse one. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And stop right there, because there's a lot we need to unpack here. Uh, The book of Acts, you say, who is I? Uh, Who who, who dealt with that? I is Luke. Luke was the physician. Now remember, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. That's why he said in the previous book. So this is a follow-up to the gospel. The gospel was where he talked about Jesus' words and works, the things that Jesus had done. Now he's recording the acts of the apostle. What effect does that have? Jesus' life, his words, and his works. Here's the effect, the acts that that had on the apostle and the surrounding uh, culture of that day. And so Luke is the writer. That's why he says in the first book, so there, those two books, it's the gospel of Luke, and the acts of the apostles that are, that are married, they go together. And he says in the first book, oh, Theophilus. Now, who is Theophilus? Well, Theophilus means God-lover. So Luke, the gospel, and the book of Acts was written to you. God-lover? Just ask somebody, just ask for a nickname of Theophilus. You're, you're, they're like, I'm Cody, but call me Theophilus. That, that'll go over real well. But Theophilus means God-lover. Now, it was probably a specific individual that was, he could have been a Roman official, he could have been a wealthy individual that commissioned Luke to go and do all these things. That is very likely because actually at the very beginning of Luke, you don't need to turn there, but at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, he says, it seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, So, keeping up with the life of Jesus and the apostles, talking to eyewitnesses, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Just ask for that part of a nickname. Call me most excellent Theophilus. That you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. So, Luke is bringing together this orderly account of the words and works of Jesus so that Theophilus may have certainty about what Jesus said and what he did and the effect that that had on the world. That's why he's writing this. And the things that he includes specifically are Jesus's life, but also his death and resurrection. And the resurrection is is crucial because the resurrection is really the crux of our faith. Because a lot of people have said a lot of wonderful things and had a lot of great ideas, and they've tried to start a lot of movements, but only one said that they would die and be raised again. And it actually happened. That's Jesus. That's the one that I wanna follow. Somebody who predicted their own death, but also predicted their resurrection, and it happened, that's the one I wanna get behind. That's the one who has the power to lead an unstoppable movement in our world. And that's where actually the gospel of Luke ends up. I mean, that's where it leaves off. If you remember, Luke, the gospel, leaves off on the road to Emmaus where Jesus is risen from the dead. He's talking to these two disciples that don't recognize him and they're super sad. Why? Because it seems like the movement has died because the leader died with no leader there's no movement and he says man don't you know it's me and their eyes are opened and they're thrilled because the movement continues the movement keeps going because the savior was resurrected you see that that's important to understand because of what he says here at the very beginning of the book of acts i mean if you just look back at that again where, where, where Luke introduces this whole book of Acts. In the first book of o Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do. What does that tell you? He's not finished. He's not finished working. Luke is just recording all the things that he began, but guess what? God is still on the move and he's still working today. There, There's still things to be written in, in, the, in the documents, in the records of history about what God does in and through his church. I'm not ta- talking about adding to the canon. I'm talking about in eternity's sake. That God is still on the move and he's still working. But to enable that movement, he gave us the Holy Spirit. You see, to continue his movement, the Holy Spirit empowered the disciples to be his witnesses, The Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity, whose primary purpose is always to highlight or to point people to Jesus. That's the spirit that God left for us as disciples, the church. You see, here, and, well, let me read Acts 1.8. You know this, because we just talked about this with Vision 2020, but Acts 1.8. But you will receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is right before the ascension where Jesus ascends into heaven where now, currently, he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is sovereignly ruling and reigning over this movement in the church today. But he says to the disciples, you are gonna receive the Holy Spirit. Now, why, why, did, why do they need that? Well, because he was going to ascend, yes, but also because the the movement began through Jesus, who was full of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Go go back to the book of Acts and think about the role that the Holy Spirit played in Jesus' life. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, the Holy Spirit shows up. He is present at his baptism to show his unification in the Godhead, the triune Godhead. But then right after the baptism, the Spirit has a role, remember? The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where he faces his 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. But then we find throughout the rest of the Gospels that Jesus is led by and full of the Holy Spirit all the time. The movement began through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but it was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus wants to continue that movement, he leaves his disciples the Holy Spirit. The same one that filled him, the same one that led him, the same one that was present in his life, he gives to us as his disciples. And he says that when I give you that, you will receive power. Power. And that word power, you know what that word means. It's the Greek word dunamis, which means dynamite. It's where we get our word dynamite. When when the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, it should affect our lives. I mean, that's the point of dynamite, right? Nobody lights a stick of dynamite as a scented candle at home. You light a stick of dynamite because you want change. You want effect. You want something to be moved. And he says, in order for the church to move and continue this movement, I'm gonna give to you the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit isn't just given to us so that we can feel warm and fuzzy and so that we're moved to happier thoughts. There's a specific prescriptive purpose that the Holy Spirit is given to the disciples. What did it say in Acts 1-8? You will receive power, why? So that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's so that you will go and continue the work to to tell of all the things that God has done, all the things that Jesus began to do and continues to do in and through you. You see, the Holy Spirit is essential for this movement to continue. The Holy Spirit sustains this movement because it equips us to be his witnesses. I've put a little section on your sermon notes about how the Holy Spirit aids in the movement of, of God's church. And it's pretty simple, but if you look at it, it, it helps you understand, as we understand what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do, as it highlights Jesus To us, but also through us. This totally makes sense what the Holy Spirit is doing. First, it emboldens the believer to be a witness for Christ. It emboldens us to tell of the words and works of Jesus. I'll give you a great example that's coming up here in Acts chapter 2. But in Acts chapter 2, we have this this wonderful uh, sermon. One of the best sermons that's recorded in all of Scripture. And who gives that sermon in Acts chapter two? You don't know? Come on, who gives that sermon? Peter. Peter gives that sermon. Now, how ironic is that? Peter is standing up in front of thousands of people and speaking of the name of Jesus and his association with him when just not too long beforehand... Days beforehand, Peter is in a courtyard with just a few people that are saying, do you know Jesus? No way. Don't know him. Never seen him. Never been with him. But now, full of the Holy Spirit, he's emboldened to stand up in front of thousands of people and speak of Jesus' name. To witness for him. The Holy Spirit emboldens us to witness for Christ. It also guides the believer in what to say to be a witness for him. If you remember Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus is sending out the disciples, right after he says, you know, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, pray the Lord to send out labors into the harvest. Then Matthew chapter 10, it's basically his commission to all those disciples as he sends them out two by two. And he says, hey, you are gonna get persecuted for your faith. Just don't be surprised, because remember, actually, he describes the people that they're going out to as wolves. He says, and you're, I'm going I'm to send you out a sheep amongst the wolves. But he says, don't worry about what you're going to say, because at that time, I'll give you what to say. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say. See, sometimes when we speak for Christ, we're so worried about having the right words. Folks, it's not based on our words. It's based on the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't get caught up in the right or the wrong. Certainly, we, you know, we want to speak orthodox, but sometimes we trip over that and we let that fear take root in our hearts. And it has no place there when it comes to witnessing for Christ because it's all about the power of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, it reminds us of what Jesus has said and done. The Holy Spirit is there to remind you of the things that he has said and done. That as you go throughout your day, you're reminded of things of promises that Jesus has made, of ways that Jesus has handled situations. The Holy Spirit is reminding of you of those things because that's the purpose of the second person of the Trinity is to highlight Jesus. Now we have a great example of that in Acts chapter 20 when Uh, Paul is speaking to the elders in Ephesus and he has this phrase in there and he says remember guys it's better Jesus taught us it's better to give than to receive and you try to trace that back to the gospels and you won't find it it's not there well how did he remember that how did he remember that Jesus said that so it's recorded in the book of Acts the Holy Spirit reminded him of the things that Jesus said and did That's what the role of the Holy Spirit is. It enables us to be witnesses for him. That's why we're given the power of the Holy Spirit, is so that we'll speak about him. See, the movement is propelled by the proclamation of the gospel. That is the whole reason why the movement began, was to preach and speak about Jesus, and it's propelled by the continual proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel means. I'll continue to remind you that. Gospel means good news. And what is the good news? 1 Corinthians 15, three and four. The good news is that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's the good news. And the movement is propelled and it continues as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. That is the primary purpose of the church. We are the only institution that has that mandate to go and proclaim the good news. There are other institutions in this world that, are, that have find great pleasure in, in giving and serving hot meals or in building houses or in doing wonderful works. And all of those are great and we should do those things. But folks, if we don't preach the good news about Jesus, then who will? It's up to us. That's why we were given the Spirit. We're the only organization, the only institution that has the good news of Jesus. And that good news of Jesus changes people's lives, and it changes countries, and it changes cultures, it changes the landscape around it. And we see an example of that in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, when the very timid and shy Peter, who didn't want to uh, get involved or associated with Jesus, all of a sudden begins to preach for him. And he preaches that eloquent sermon to people of all different nations, tongues, and nationalities. And it says that they were cut to the heart. There was something that cut them down deep. You see, this is one of the reasons why the movement is so powerful and so profound is because it, it goes beyond a hot meal. It goes beyond a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. This cuts people to the heart. That's the only place that this, the, the eternal, everlasting change that we want to see in our world is ever going to happen is if people's hearts are changed. Because sin is the problem. That's why we need the good news of Jesus because it's the only one that can address the real problem in our world. And so Peter preaches the good news about Jesus. And as those who heard, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it says that they're cut to the heart. And then it says in Acts chapter two, verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, it's very important that you... Recognize that that says souls, the suke, the the immaterial part of a person, the eternal part of a person. The the deep down, the the suke is is meant to describe not only the immaterial part of us that is everlasting, but also the deep-seated place of our desires. That our desires are turned and changed. Our desires are redeemed, they're reformed, they're changed when we come to know Jesus. That's the change that we want to see in our world. We we can't fight the world's problems with fleshly means. There's no lasting change that's ever going to happen that way. We have to fight spiritual darkness with spiritual solutions, and That's why we have to continue to proclaim the gospel as our primary role. I love what uh, Kevin DeYoung says in one of his books, and I put this on the bottom of your sermon notes. But he says, if you're looking for a picture of the early church giving itself to creation care or plans for societal renewal and strategies to serve the community in Jesus' name, you won't find them in the book of Acts. But, if you are looking for preaching, teaching, and the centrality of the word, this is your book. The story of Acts is the story of the earliest Christian's effort to carry out the commission given to them in Acts chapter one, verse eight. All of the wonderful things that we see happen in the book of Acts come from committed believers saying, I want to witness for Christ. I want to tell others about his words and his works. And how what happened for me is possible for them. That's the movement. It started with Jesus. It's empowered by his spirit. And it's propelled by by us, the church, who continues to proclaim the gospel. We don't need a movement. We need to get on board with his movement to affect and change the world for Jesus' sake. In Jesus' name. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to join the movement. It's very simple. I want you to join the movement. See, Christianity isn't a philosophy to abide by. It's a movement to join. It's not philosophical. It's not just, you know, just something for your peace and happiness. It's something for everyone. It's something that fights for the souls of men and women for eternity. It's something that does fight to treat people the way that God intended them to be treated in the image of God. It treats his creation the way that he wants it to be treated. His creatures the way that he wants them to be treated. All of those things. But it starts with honoring and and pledging our allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords first and foremost. That's why you've got to join the movement. Get behind the person and the power, and the program that he has. So it might mean different things for different people. Maybe you're here and you've never placed your trust in the only person who can save your soul. Then that's what you need to do. There are some of you who have heard this and you have been cut to the heart. You realize that you have a sin problem that you can't do anything about. There's no amount of hot meals or houses you can build or do- donations you can give that are ever going to get you into heaven. There's someone who died on your behalf to pay the penalty for your sins and rose from the dead if you'll just place your trust in Jesus Christ. Admit that you're a sinner, believe that he died for your sins, and confess to him that you trust him as your only way to be made right with God. Join the movement. It's, a one, it's one that not only starts today, but it lasts until eternity. I've been praying, if you haven't placed your trust in Jesus Christ, I've been praying for you specifically for a long time, and I pray that you place your trust in him today. Second, if you've made that decision, yield to the, 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 the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit that is revealing Jesus in and through you. Yield to the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit that is revealing Jesus in and through you. Remember, I love this, this part, this little nugget that Paul tells us in Romans 8, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that dwells in you and me. That's some powerful stuff. How do you treat that? Tuck it away? Not for me today? Or do you yield to it and say, God, I know you might have to blow up different areas in my life because you want to see yourself magnified and glorified in and through me so I can be a witness for you. I yield to your power. The dynamic power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in me. See, when you don't do that, you quench or you grieve the Spirit, just like Galatians chapter five tells us. And the movement is ineffective because the movement is propelled by the power of the Holy Spirit. But that means that we, you and I, have to yield to that power in us. And then finally, tell others the good news of Jesus as you live out the purpose of the church. The primary purpose of the church is to be his witnesses. To speak about him. We're the only people that have the good news that can root out the sin problem in our world and has an effect to actually change people from the inside out, lasting change. But people can't believe if you don't tell them. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 10. How can they believe if no one's heard? You have to tell them. Nobody else will. It's up to you, it's up to me to share the good news of Jesus with them. I love what Spurgeon said. This has been a convicting uh, thought and quote for me, so that's why I share it with you. Spurgeon said, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. Don't worry about eloquence. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. So we all worry about eloquence. But he says, Man, if you're gonna tell about Jesus, there's a sparkle in your eye. There's a passion and a sincerity in your heart that can only be inspired by the Spirit of God that connects with it. And and isn't it the Spirit of God's work? It's not the work of your words. It's his word that worked through the power of his Spirit. You see, this is the movement. It has no life cycle. It's not only alternative It's not only redemptive for you and for me. It's not only reformative. It's not only revolutionary. It is everything. It is God's eternal plan to change the world and redeem the world so that it can be His kingdom the way that He intended it to be. With Jesus, our King and Lord, sitting on the throne, not only on the throne of our hearts, but on the whole entire world. That's the program. That's the movement. And that's the movement of us, the church. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that what you ask us to do, you aid us in doing that through the power of your spirit. I pray, Lord God, that For those who have been cut to the heart, they would place their trust in you. I pray that we would all yield to your power and Lord God, that you would present those opportunities to tell of your work in our lives and to offer that good news and invitation for others to join the movement. We are your church. Would you move through us please, in Jesus' name, amen.